This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. In this episode, we're speaking to independent researcher Alexander Makiva, and today he's going to be talking about the Turkish-backed mercenaries from Syria that are fighting alongside Azerbaijan against the Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh. Now that new war between Azerbaijan and Armenia has been going on for a month now. Straight away we saw these mercenaries on the ground in Azerbaijan. A lot of people have been denying it in Turkey and Azerbaijan, but it is definitely confirmed. Listen to this episode, Alex will explain why. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popularfront. So... Um, We're going to be speaking about this situation with the uh, Turkish-backed Syrian mercenaries where they've been found fighting for Azerbaijan against the Armenians in Karabakh. Uh, It's a a mad situation at first. Like I was like, there's no way this is happening. You've been gathering a lot of evidence. It looks like it definitely is happening. But first, like, can you can you just explain the situation? Like, how did this happen? Yeah, so um, in mid-September, uh, rumors started coming out that Turkey was sending uh, SNA mercenaries, Syrian National Army, its, its proxies, uh, these mercenaries to Azerbaijan. Uh, initially, this didn't really make any sense. There wasn't actually any active combat going on between Azerbaijan and Armenia, and so it seemed pretty far-fetched. And then all of a sudden, on September 27th, Azerbaijan launches this huge offensive against uh, Armenia-controlled Nagorno-Karabakh. And um, then in the next couple of days, we start seeing uh, more uh, visual evidence, or we start seeing visual evidence of Syrian presence in Azerbaijan along the front lines. And then multiple local media outlets and local like social media channels, telegram channels um, for, from northern Syria. And then international media starts collecting testimonies and publishing them from various Syrian fighters that are involved. And so, yeah, it, it appears that the, the, the estimates are rough, but it seems that a thousand, at least a thousand, uh, possibly as high as 2,000 uh, Turkish proxies have been sent to Azerbaijan to fight in this uh, Azerbaijani offensive against Armenian forces that has like a, a heavy Turkish involvement within the offensive. So this is just sort of one prong of the the Turkish involvement within this this fighting right now. Sure. Um, let's talk about who the SNA actually is. It's an umbrella group, and I know, um, but just for our listeners, maybe explain who they are because I'm kind of tired of hearing people just say the rebels. Like I think it's an insult to the actual secular rebels who rose up to fight the Assad regime, and I just think labeling them simply the rebels is just outrageous because they're a very different breed. Like, maybe explain to us who the SNA are. Yeah, so the SNA is a structure that was created by Turkey in, and it began initially in early 2017. It didn't really form until what it is today, until 2019. But it's about 30 to 40 different uh, Syrian opposition factions. They're, some of them are ethnic Turkmen. So a couple of them have been in North Aleppo forever. Um, there's some that are from eastern Syria, and those tend to be the more like Islamic, Islamist hardline groups. Um, it's really like a, a mix of groups that ended up in northwestern Syria that aren't in jihadi-controlled Idlib, and that are basically completely beholden to Turkey. 
financially, territorially. I mean, if they if Turkey wasn't there, they wouldn't exist. And within and then they're also the ones that have been used in Turkey's invasion of Afrin and Turkey's invasion of northeastern Syria and helped carry out the, the ethnic cleansing of Kurdish populations within these regions. So yeah, they're they're proxies. I'd say they're they're mostly um, sort of warlord groups that are engaged in all sorts of criminal activity. Some of them are have uh, serious Islamist leanings, but overall, I'd say they're they're it's the security situation in all Turkish back-controlled territories is pretty abysmal because these groups are constantly fighting over each other, constantly stealing from civilians, uh, kidnapping and holding civilians for ransom. So it, it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's just this sort of collection of groups that aren't really good at much besides uh, criminal activity, I'd say. And they're not they're not fighting the regime because uh, since since the fall of Aleppo, really um, there hasn't been much conflict between the regime and and opposition groups in northern Aleppo, primarily because of the Turkish and Russian deconfliction measures. So so there's pretty much been a ceasefire. So. Within this uh, space, that's where they've been mostly fighting against uh, the SDF and Kurdish forces, and um, and as well as with each other. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, before anyone says, "Well, well, that's bias," I mean, I've been keeping an eye on them just to check my own kind of anti-Turkish regime biases because I do have that. It's very clear. And so I was like, all right, let me see what they actually do. And like you've said, all I've seen them do is like banditry. You know what I mean? And just like, I mean, there's, for anyone that doesn't know, there are videos of these guys like shouting, calling Kurdish people infidels. They murdered a female politician like in cold blood in the street, like filmed it, shot her to bits. Like it's a fucking nasty bunch. Um, maybe you can give us an idea of some of the groups that are actually within the SNA, like Faylak al-Sham and all these other guys. Yeah, so, um, so there's... Uh, just going from starting with uh, the groups that are involved in uh, Azerbaijan right now, the three main groups that are involved in Azerbaijan are Firkat al Hamza, uh, Firka, uh, so uh, sorry, uh, Hamza Division, Sultan Murad Division, and Suleiman Shah Division. All three of these groups are led by ethnic Turkmen. Uh, Turkmen are like a, a Turkish minority within Syria. Some of them are more distinct than others a lot of the population has been very arabized but anyway these groups they have um for almost the entirety of their their existence have had very close ties with turkish intelligence so that's why these three groups were picked for this um azerbaijani campaign because um i have my uh suspicions are that these are the groups that turkey trusts the most so because recruitment started before the conflict began they knew that these groups at least could could keep these things under wraps, the recruitment of um, Syrian fighters. So the, uh, these groups to go, yeah, they're, so they're ethnic Turkmen groups. Um, Hamza is is uh, not actually predominant. It's not completely Turkmen, but the commander is uh, Turkmen, and he has long-time MIT ties. Um, yeah, they, as we said, have engaged in criminality, um, sectarian abuses against Kurds, um, yeah, not... Um, particularly admirable groups at all. Um, some of the other SNA groups, um, sort of the most infamous is Akhrar Shakia, who are a group made up of people from the East, from Derizor primarily. And um, definitely, I'd say of all the SNA groups, they have the, the most uh, like jihadi sympathies. Um, the commander used to be a member of Akhrar Sham, 
2013, 2014. Um, and they're, they're another group that they constantly end up in headlines for infighting, for criminality, for sectarianism against Kurds. Um, yeah. And then you have like some other groups that um, I'd say in, in this context aren't as relevant because they're not um, involved in the recruiting. Like th- their fighters are going to Azerbaijan, but the recruiting is all done through, as far as we know, through these three groups um, that I mentioned, Hamza, Sultan Murad, and Suleiman Shah. Right. Um, let's let's go into then like the evidence that you've collected to, you know, show that they are there because still there are some people from Azerbaijan saying it's all a lie. Turkey, Turkish state media is, of course, saying it's not true. There are no Syrian mercenaries in Azerbaijan. Let's just go over your evidence, what you found to prove that, yeah, they, they actually are. Yeah. So the other day I published a piece that was a compilation of stuff that I've analyzed, but also stuff that other people have. Um, so I'd say that the biggest, the first biggest piece of evidence was a video of um, several fighters that were speaking in Arabic and in, in Syrian Arabic, uh, standing around at what is a like appears to be a military barracks facility. And uh, with like ne- right next to two technicals, and they're listening to music. Someone identified the music as a song about the uh, SNA faction, Sultan Murad. And then this video was geolocated to the town of Hordes, which is in Azerbaijan proper. And it is right next to the Iranian border and right next to the Armenian front lines. So that, that was the first sort of strongest bit of evidence. And there's been a couple other videos um, that have uh, been geolocated to, to territories that have since been captured by Azerbaijan that in uh, Nagorno-Karabakh. And um, another interesting thing is that all, all the videos we've seen that have been reportedly in Azerbaijan showing SNA guys, you know, speaking in Arabic, um, they're all wearing these unique sort of aqua um, fatigues that... Uh, after they, these videos started coming out, someone identified them as actually being the Azerbaijani border guard uh, camouflage fatigue uniforms. Um, so, the, and these show up time and time again in the, in the uh, right now, maybe a, a dozen videos have come out, a dozen videos or images. There's been um, there's been some some like uh, confirmations as well from families in Syria, right? Like saying, yeah, they went out there to fight. Oh yeah, the, so we, the visual evidence is strong, but uh, I mean, really completing that is that both uh, local media and international media have interviewed dozens of fighters, family members, people that have uh, witnessed the recruitment. Um, the, uh, the recruitment, it's interesting, was initially done um, allegedly or reportedly over WhatsApp. And then eventually there's also um, offices, physical offices opened up in Afrin where uh, fighters would register to, to go fight. And this is before their, the deployment actually began. So yeah, there is extensive uh, testimony uh, that's uh, coinciding with this. Really, I, I, don't, I haven't come across any, I don't believe I've seen Syrians denying this at all. It's the people denying it are almost exclusively Azerbaijani or Turkish. Yeah, same. Um, I even saw a video where there's some kind of like jihadist sheikh in maybe Afrin, actually, I forget, but one of the occupied areas um, in, in Syria, and he's saying 
it's it's everyone's duty like this is part of jihad like it's one kind of you know one one battle what's happening in syria what's happening in azerbaijan they're trying to conflate the two um are you seeing any evidence that the fighters think that or is it just mercenary getting paid that sort of thing so it's interesting that uh i I don't remember the identity of that guy exactly, but he was in Afrin. He definitely has some ties to Turkey because also within Idlib, I know uh, Eamon Tamimi had a, uh, he's uh, at least translated um, a video that was a jihadi sheikh in uh, Idlib that uh, was saying this is like, uh, you know, haram, like that you're, you can't go fight for Shia. Um, so, so, but either way, neither of them are denying that it's happening. Um, so as for the personal motivations, I'm, I mean, these I'm, individuals probably sign up for all a host of different reasons. Um, some because they're Turkish nationalists, I like the, some of the Turkmen groups have like heavy Turkish nationalist um, tendencies. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's some that go for like, yeah, sort of uh, jihadi sectarian, uh, anti-Christian animus. Um, and then I'd say, because the people that go like, um, so a lot of them are veteran um, opposition fighters, but there's also like random city, like uh, just civilians that had never had any experience of fighting that have signed up to go. Um, so I, I think while some may be like, um, when you bring up the, the economic reason why people are going, some may say that that's like sort of an excuse. I don't think I'm not making any, um, not saying it in any moral judgment, but I mean, there, there really isn't much economic opportunity going on there. And Turkey is the only people that the only uh, entity that's offering like any sort of salary that's higher than what people can make there. So, I mean, I think there definitely is an economic um, incentive, a heavy one. I mean, if you look at the, the salaries that are being offered, the average SNA salary, I believe, is something like uh, I think it's 300 uh, maybe us dollars a month i i forget the currency that this is uh pegged at but uh proportionally like the 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 salary that's being offered for um both libya and azerbaijan is 2000 so i mean it's like you know six times higher so there's definitely a uh financial incentive yeah no i agree completely like i, I get this idea that people are like well why don't they make money another way like whatever like it is the war i mean i'm not excusing what they're doing but like, of course, someone turns up and you're in some kind of area where there's nothing and they say, hey, like, you know, you can make this money to go and fight. You can travel to a different country. Like, of course, it's an incentive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also, um, a lot of the testimony from uh, fighters early on was saying that when they were signed up, like the, the, the recruiters working for Turkey that signed them up, told them that they were going to be guarding, uh, guarding the border, guarding oil facilities. Uh, which is interesting if you kind of connect that with the the fact that they keep ending up in border guard uh, fatigues. Um, but then all of a sudden they get there and they're then Azerbaijan attacks Armenia um, like the day they get there. Right. So they were told like they're going to go on some kind of, I mean, not cushy, but like a pretty easy kind of position. And then the war started. Exactly. I mean, I, I think and then obviously once the war started, people are still signing up. So like yeah, that's. You can't say that for everyone, but I think early on there was definitely some uh, trickery being played by Turkey and its recruiters um, in terms of the people they were signing up. Yeah, man. Um, and I mean, why is Turkey doing this? Like, why does Azerbaijan need Syrian-backed mercenaries to fight their battles? What is happening? So 
Azerbaijan itself really has no need for these people. Um, I mean, Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan has like, a, you know, a, a, a substantial military. I think it's in terms of Europe overall, I think it's a pretty relatively large one for the country's size. And as they've shown throughout the, the conflict, the recent conflict that it's like, they have really high tech weaponry. Like it's, um, there, there's no manpower shortages. Um, so essentially they're just cannon fodder for Azerbaijan. Um, for Turkey, I think it's, um, I mean, one, it protects them because instead of sending like more Turkish soldiers and advisors, they can send these guys. I've seen reports, I think it was some Russian media saying that there's substantial, at least military advisors on the Turkish side that are in Azerbaijan overall. Really, I think, I mean, you have to look at it in conjunction with the Libya, uh, deployment of SNA groups, um, Turkey sort of developed them into this low-skill expeditionary force that can um, be deployed to its various interventions as Turkey becomes more and more uh, imperialist, uh, revisionist against uh, the regional order. So um, they act as foot soldiers within these uh, Turkish inventions, interventions. Obviously, it's different than Libya because in Libya... They're, they're essentially being deployed alongside non-state actors, like the various militias that are fighting on behalf of the GNA. So here, fighting for a state, it's that, that's another reason why it seems so uh, far-fetched initially, is that like deploying these guys for a state actor. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I I think now that we've seen it twice, like in the future, I mean, Turkey's not going to become any less antagonistic towards. Um, uh, regional rivals in anytime soon under Erdogan. So I think, um, I mean, you look at like the, the various conflicts that Turkey's uh, getting its hands in or that's already involved in. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked if we see this happen elsewhere. I mean, you look at uh, the KRG in Northern Iraq, um, like the Turkish intervention against the PKK. I mean, it's, it's possible. Um, who knows about, I mean... Greece, Cyprus, they hint about... Obviously, Greece, exactly. Yeah, Cyprus, yeah. Um, Qatar, I mean, not like, I mean, obviously that's not a conflict or, or combat or anything, but yeah, I mean, Turkey's sort of regional campaign, uh, or it's new regional interventions. I, I mean, I think this is a, a part and parcel of, of that. France and as then, well. <laughs> They're coming after France. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. I think yeah. as well, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a way for them to do what Russia did in a way, I think, you know, like little green men. I mean, obviously we know exactly who they are and who they're attached to. But do you know what I mean? It, it seems almost like kind of a play out of their book a little bit. Like a NATO country just can't run into wherever. But if they just hire like a group of like mercenaries and then they can at the last minute just be like, well, it wasn't us. I mean, I don't know. Do you think that gives them some kind of like a little uh, buffer zone for them in terms of, oh, are they going to piss this one off or that one off when they go into these places? Yeah. And um, I mean, if you look at the uh, Azerbaijani um uh, side of the conflict right now, they're using all sorts of the Turkish drones, the TB2s, and they're they're sticking Azerbaijani flags on them. But I've seen a, a number of reports that it's believed that it's it's Turkish drone operators controlling them. Um, they just have these flags on them. Um, the F-16s in the, the Ganja airbase that um, the, the 
Krishan Bear. He had identified that they, these F-16s, Turkish Air Force, had uh, been deployed there in July for a, um, you know, joint operations, like training mission, whatever. Um, and that several of them remained and like never left and that they're still there. And so, I mean, Turkish F-16s, you know, Turkish Air Force. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely plausible deniability that's very similar to what Russia was doing in Crimea and Ukraine. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I had my own conspiracy theory in my head as well. I was thinking like, I wonder if Russia and Turkey did some kind of deal where Russia said like, hey, like, stop helping the jihadists in Idlib and we'll let you fuck with the Armenians in Karabakh. I mean, I, I think you can't, you can't really look at Russia's, um, Russia and Turkey's roles in, in these conflicts in a vacuum. Like there's definitely, what goes on in Idlib is tied to what goes on in Northeast Syria. Exactly. It, tied to what goes on in Libya and now tied to what goes on in Nagorno-Karabakh. Um, yeah, it, uh, whatever deal uh, ends up happening, I mean, hopefully hopefully some deal happens and, and the, the combat stops and um, you don't see a complete um, capture of Nagorno-Karabakh because then you'll see, you know, the, the 152,000 civilians flee and it'll be like completely ethnically cleansed of all Armenians. Um, hopefully there, there's a, a cessation in the um, combat. And I think that deal is going to require negotiations between Turkey and Russia. And that is going to be tied into what goes on in Syria. I mean, I, I think Tur uh, Russia is not above, you know, making concessions in, in uh, Syria. I mean, there's, you know, there's been um, the recent sh uh, shelling of areas in northeastern Syria by Turkey, um, uh, like SDF territory. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was, you know, like a, a freeze in the combat in Nagorno-Karabakh, and then you saw like further Turkish uh, attacks against the SDF. Yeah, me as well. It's I think it's the sort of conflict this where, funnily enough, a lot of people are like, what, Nagorno-Karabakh? Like, what? Fuck it. Like, there's not um, enough attention on it, in my opinion. But then it's like you said, it's actually a geopolitical conflict. It's kind of the center of one, actually, in a way, when you look at the conflicts that are happening right now. You know what I mean? At least as a side conflict. Yeah, though I will say it's not as clean cut because Russia is close. I mean, it's closer to Armenia, but it's also close with Azerbaijan. So Right, they sell them weapons at the same time as having a fucking base in Armenia. Like, what? Yeah, and, you know, Russia wants to keep good relations with all the post-Soviet states, so it's not going to heavily support Armenia. So it's not, it's not the same as Libya, like GNA, LNA, mapping evenly to the Russia-Turkey competition. Mm. Um. I just want to talk about the role that the the Syrian mercenaries have on the front lines in Azerbaijan. Like I know you said they they were told that they were going to be on the border and whatever, but we know that that isn't true. I've seen some videos where you know guys are kind of allegedly saying, "Don't come, this is fucked." Like we're we're in a meat, like meat grinder. I mean, what are they actually doing? Are they on the very front, like pushed forward as kind of you know shock troops? That's what it appears like. I mean, we've only. As far as I know, there's only been one video showing like direct combat um, uh, featuring SNA mercenaries. Um, interestingly, this video um, in the background, you could both see an Israeli uh, vehicle and a Turkish vehicle, which is another sort of um, clear indication that these these men um, are in Azerbaijan because that's you know probably the the one of the only places where you'll see both Israeli and Turkish vehicles, military vehicles. Um, 
So, yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of testimony says that they've uh, given by fighters themselves has been that it's been, yeah, meat grinder. They've been thrown on the front lines. Um, you know, uh, while, while uh, Azerbaijan's been very successful at destroying a lot of Armenian vehicles, like the actual combat when Armenia hasn't withdrawn has been, um, you know, very intense and like not, not easy for Azerbaijani ground troops. Um, and, and as far as like, uh, the, the numbers killed of, um, Syrian mercenaries, we don't have exact figures. Um, it's at least over a hundred. Um, there, there's been reports. It's another sort of confirmation of, and, and images too, and testimonies of shipments of like 40, 50 bodies at a time of SNA mercenaries back into Syria, uh, through Turkey. Yeah. And I think recently there was a report that I think from a Russian um, a journalist uh, outlet, I forget which one, um, uh, Novaya, I think, um, that uh, 185 were killed. So, I mean, these, these numbers are staggering. Like the, the numbers deployed, the estimates are, I'd say like 1,000 to 1,500. And even if it's as high as 2,000, like a 185 killed in action is, you know, huge. I mean, it's... Uh, the rates of attrition are insane. Absolutely. Um, Alex, is there anything else you want to say about these uh, mercenaries before we kind of finish this? I'd say uh, one thing is that as far as like the, the abuses they commit in Syria um, and whether that translates into Azerbaijan, I mean, I think if you, you end up seeing SNA people capturing Armenians, like they're, they're not going to be treated well. But I, I think I will say that it's, it's nothing you don't see from the Azerbaijani military itself. I mean, we've already seen uh, Armenian prisoners of war executed by uh, the Azerbaijani military. There is an image of an Azerbaijani soldier holding a decapitated head of an Armenian soldier. So, like, uh, as far as, like, the war crimes angle of the SNA deployment, I, I think, like, everything you're worried about, like, Azerbaijan is going to be the main actor committing these these abuses here. And, and the, like, the ethnic cleansing in general, I mean, this... Offensive is clearly designed to capture Nagorno-Karabakh and empty it of Armenians. So yeah, they're literally as far as that. SNA deployment goes, I think it's yeah, exactly. And like they've been saying it for decades. Um, so as far as SNA deployment goes, I don't think that's uh, completely um, like yeah. The the Azerbaijan is is the real uh, uh, protagonist here as far as ethnic cleansing and war crimes goes. I believe. Alex, where can people find your work? This this report you've done on it recently is excellent. Where can people get that? So that report is on a website I made that sort of you know just carries work I've published elsewhere, as podcast appearances, and that's ak mckeever m c k e e v e r dot com. And uh, I'm also on Twitter under the same handle ak mckeever. Okay, amazing. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was researcher Alexander McKeever speaking to us about the Turkish-backed Syrian mercenaries fighting for Azerbaijan against the Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh. Like I said at the start, the war is now a month old. It's unbelievably brutal it's horrific we've seen uh, people soldiers in Azerbaijan uh, with pictures where they're holding up the head 
of uh, an Armenian fighter. We've seen a footage of uh, Armenians gun-butting a guy until he passes out, possibly dies. He's gun-butting a Azerbaijan soldier. Uh, we've seen footage of Azeri soldiers uh, executing an old man who was in his 70s and a young guy in his 20s. Uh, both Armenians in their uniform, they put a um, flag around them and just shoot them and murder them in cold blood there. We've seen a lot of horrific stuff already coming out of this war. It's really brutal. Definitely get up to speed on our other episodes. We've done quite a lot of Nagorno-Karabakh before the war even kind of reignited. Definitely do see what's happening. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us on the Patreon. That is how we make our money. That is how we keep going. And you get a load of benefits as well. You get lots for your money. It's not us begging, saying, please give us money. It's us saying, hey, subscribe and you get all this cool shit. Patreon.com slash Popular Front. Check us out there. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Oracle Coffee Shop in Portland, Oregon, USA. They're an independent coffee shop selling only fair trade products. See them at 3875 Southwest Bond Avenue, 97239. Go say hello to my mate Frank if he's there. He will give you a nice discount if you tell him you came there because of popular front. He will give you a 99.9% .9 discount and you can quote him, quote me and tell him I said that. Um, no, don't do that. Well, you can if you want to give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> this episode is also sponsored by Grind Core House, a pair of independent coffee shops in Philadelphia, USA. One in South, one in West. Check them out on social media at Grind Core House. Actually, I found out what Grind Core is the other day. Like, I was watching that fucking vagrant holiday guy, and he was in Japan and he was looking at Grind Core music. And I looked it up and was like, oh, okay, that's what Grind Core is. So it's quite clever play on words i guess if you're like a punk or whatever and you're into grindcore and you have a coffee shop anyway the episode is also sponsored by propagandopolis an outlet selling and informing people about historical conflict propaganda get prints at propagandopolis.com that's p-r-o-p-a-g-a-d-o-p-o-l-i-s.com enter the code popular front 10 you get 10 percent off the episode, is the episode is also sponsored by Black Triangle, an independent company selling self-defense tools. Check them out at blktriangle.com. Um, also, like I said, if you want uh, to get all the extra stuff, subscribe to us at patreon.com slash popular front. If you don't like Patreon, you can go to our... Um, you can go to... Where can you go? Fuck my life. Popularfront.co slash support. You can donate Bitcoin. You can um, send us money via PayPal or that if that's what you want to do. Uh, also, get our merchandise at popularfront.shop. Check us out there. Uh, go to our YouTube, youtube.com slash popularfront. Subscribe. The uh, 3D printed guns in Western Europe, a very, very illegal and spicy documentary, is coming out in November. Um, there's a little short 30 second teaser on my Twitter if you want to see that, at Jake underscore Hanrahan, H A N I A H A N. Um, yeah. Instagram uh, at popular.front. Twitter at popularfrontco. Uh, thank you to the following people on Patreon: Larson eight six six nine, Nadim El Azmar, Bjorn Kirsten, Michael O'Connor, Hapet Yegia Zayan, Zach Packard, Todd Cravens, Alexander Nicholas Butter, Ron Swanson, JD, 
Jav, Bastian Gamillo Ritmeyer, Ian Froese, James Cully, Michael Akakan, Ethan Reyes, Fitz Madrid, Joe Watt, Alex Northrop, Ed Coulthard, Johnny Lafleur, Clayton Taylor, Hugo Newski, Mike Barone, Scott Hopton, Liam Williams, Chris Cusimano, Degenerate Zero Alpha, Giorgio Arani, DR, C. Jackson Trey Nance, Charlie, Amy Rupert, Rubicon, Mink, Frank Austin, Amelia Mee, Christina Rivetti, Freya Northman, Ali Hunter, Moody Al Rashid, Maxwell Burke, Bill Wilson, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, Brian McLaughlin, Tom Lochrin, Ari from the Discord, Young Wasabi, Sarushe Hawazi, Tony Bin, Adam Bergsnyder, Skartoon Music, Sebastian from the Discord, Stephen Davila, Anthony Kabarek, Patrick Bronte, Dan Donham, Fletcher Tate, Chad Walker, Diana Gorvenek, Cubal, Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did, Emily Molly, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock, Moritz Zumbul, Kay Hardy Roberts, and Joanne Stocker. Thank you all very much. Without you, this would not be moving ahead as fast as it is. If you want to support us, again, patreon.com slash popularfront. Music in this episode, the intro is by Home, and the outro is always is by my mate Sam Black. Check his music out at samblackpf.com. Mm-hmm.